the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program as we begin a brand new week in August. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel uh, mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend uh, this weekend. We really did. Uh, man, what a great weekend it was. It, we, uh, I told the church last weekend was, uh, the weekend before last, was the uh, Sacrament of Communion. And then yesterday here at Calvary Chapel, it was Baptism Sunday. We had our public baptism and had just a really, really great time. People got saved during the day. People got baptized. Um, we, we had it at a private home, a big, big, big backyard private home. But it was really great. Uh, the, the people that opened their home were such a blessing to the church. And we really, really loved it. If they'll have us back, we'll probably go there again. But it was wonderful to watch um the spirit move. We had one woman who uh, had been saved, she said, for 50 years, up and down walk with the Lord, but had never been baptized. And she said, I just felt like this time being baptized was going to be that that time when I just surrender everything to God. It was really neat. We had another radio listener who came out, Terry. Terry, it was wonderful to meet you. And giving me the honor to baptize you was was great. We're always grateful for that. And um, had one mother um, baptized her four children. Uh, they got saved. The kids did at our vacation Bible school, and um, they they wanted to get baptized. And so when the mom walked into the water, I said to her, I said, so. When did you give your life to Jesus Christ? You know, I want to ask them, make sure they're 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 saved. And and she said, while my children were being baptized, the Spirit of God convicted her with her children's witness. I mean, think about that. How wonderful that is! And um, oh, just just a really great day. Um, long day, but a wonderful day. So that's what happens when the Lord is leading. Hey, a quick announcement before we get to our questions. Tonight, of course, is our final Sweet Summer Devotion. Yoli Vega will be sharing her heart. Yoli is a Marine, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. This is going to be interesting. Uh, Gosh, we've known Yoli for a lot of years now, and she's pretty quiet. She's just such a wonderful woman. 
And uh, tonight she's going to share her heart. That'll be our final Sweet Summer Devotion uh, in our summer series. So 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, Try to get here if you can. That way you can be included in the Q&A session. Um, But if you can't get here, you can listen to Yoli at... uh, on AM 630, the word? No, it's, oh, I'm sorry. Calvary SA. I got, I got the wrong thing. It's calvarysa.com. AM 630 is what I'm on now. You can tell it's a long weekend, but a good one. Uh, but but she'll be here. You can watch it on our website, calvarysa.com. And that's at 7 o'clock. The same time, of course, uh, Pastor Ken will be leading the men. And then we got Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew, uh, who will be leading the uh, the kids, so it can be a family affair, junior high school and high school age. One other thing, Friday night, we were able to ordain uh, both Matthew and Chris. Uh, they have been our youth leaders for a while, but we've been, I, I've known both these kids, um, Chris literally his whole life, Matthew since he was six years old. And to be able to, to watch them grow in the Lord and keep my eyes on them, you know, we, we never ordained somebody quickly. Uh, but it was just wonderful. Then Matthew went home Friday night and proposed to his now fiance uh, Veronica, uh, and uh, and she said yes, and she was showing off the ring. So you talk about a full full weekend, but it's what happens when you hang around with Jesus. Okay, three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let me start with some questions that just came in the mail. Uh, the first one is from Karen. She says, when street witnessing, I've met people with demons. The demons have made it known to me that they know who I am by saying things that they have no way of knowing. My question is, how much do they know about us? Um, Karen, that's interesting. I've been in exactly the same situation uh, as as you described. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the devil is the greatest psychologist in the history of the world. And, and remember, they're supernatural. And, and he's got demons everywhere. And so they watch and they study. Um, Peter says that they, the, the, the enemy is prowling around. I mean, he's inspecting our lives. We know that from the, the poetic book of Job. So they know stuff. Um, um, demons have supernatural power. Demons are, are, are observers of human behavior. And, and they know. And I think it's important that we understand that when we're dealing with demons, we're going beyond our ability to cope uh, in in our own strength. So um, how much they know about you depends on how much they're studying you. If you're out sharing Jesus with people, street witnessing, Karen, uh, I imagine they're watching you. And that's an attempt, a blatant attempt by the devil to try to frighten you. And it's creepy. I got to tell you, I've I've been in that same situation. It's creepy, um, but the one who really knows everything about you is also with you, and we don't really need to worry about that. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in this world. It's a little H He who is in this world, and uh, and while they know things and they're able to push buttons, uh, believe me, their power is limited, and and we never have to be afraid. We never have to be afraid because Jesus is always there with us. The Holy Spirit's power will overwhelm demonic power. They'll huff and they'll puff and they'll threaten to blow your house down. But really, that's the only thing they can do, Karen. So once you get over the general creepiness of it, I think uh, you you just understand that's going to happen when you're out in the street sharing Jesus with people. One other comment about they say they know who you are. Uh, they'll tell you things about their life, but they also know the demons. And this is something that's important to remember. They know who you represent. And they know their their power is limited. They want you to, to freak out. They don't want you to, 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 to uh, be bold and confident. But if we remember, and, and I've actually looked in people's faces, speaking to the demon. I've looked at people and I said, you know who I am. And you know the power that lives in me. And um, generally, there's no problem after that. But encountering demon-possessed people is one of the least fun things, one of the most heartbreaking things that you'll ever experience in your Christian witness. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. And thank you for being 
faithful to go out and share our Jesus with people who are dying. This is from Thomas from our email inbox. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I have two questions today. Is apathy grounds for divorce biblically? For example, if one spouse smokes and refuses to quit regardless of the ill effects on their partner, this would demonstrate a lack of care, concern for the well-being of the other spouse. And he said in this scenario, both are Christians that he's talking about. Thomas, uh, no, that's not grounds biblical grounds for divorce. I've said often, usually speaking about the men, uh, being a jerk is not biblical grounds for divorce. Being married to a jerk is not biblical grounds for divorce. And I think this is just one of those areas where where uh, the people that you're you're witnessing to or counseling with, uh, they've got to stay committed. The 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 one who is being subject to uh, the smoking in this case, and it could be drinking, could be a lot of other things. As long as they're safe, um, they're they're not in any harm. There's no physical harm going on, or physical abuse going on. Then, then what they do is they pray. Uh, if if I lived in a house with a smoker, thank God I don't. But if I lived in a house with a smoker, um, I would I would exercise my right as as a co-owner of the home to say not in the house. Go outside, go in the back, do something, but but not in the house. And uh, if they refuse to do that, um, then then I would leave every time uh, he or she lit up. It's, it's just a horrible thing. We've, we've had that same scenario in counseling several times over the years. And at some point, we have to look at the Christian who is being rude, who's being unkind. We've got to look at that Christian and say, um, uh, you are misrepresenting Jesus, and this is sin. And usually, Thomas, they'll listen um, at that point. But 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 remember, Christians aren't Christians because they say they are. We identify Christians because of what they do. And in a case like this, it seems that there's really no change of heart in the one who's causing the difficulty. So, Sadly, not grounds for biblical divorce. It's an opportunity for the one to extend grace and set an example for the other. And then I think you commit that person to prayer. And believe me, God will be faithful to minister to that person's heart, the offender's heart. His second question, he says, is way above my pay grade, which means it's probably above mine as well. He said, but here goes. God is omnipresent. So after he creates hell, will he be there? However, if Jesus is there, it wouldn't be hell. I know there's no contradiction in our God. I also know there's probably no answering this query because the mind of God is so very far above and beyond our minds. Yeah, uh, God's omnipresence isn't affected by his refusal to go somewhere. When God creates outer darkness, and that's what hell is going to be, when, when the great white throne judgment occurs and people are cast into the lake of fire. Uh, the fact that God does not go somewhere doesn't mean that he can't go. It's just a choice that he makes. And really, Thomas, hell is just being out of the presence of God. That's all it is. Uh, darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, horror, uh, torment physically, torment uh, psycholog- psychologically. Remember, the people are also alive in hell forever and ever. But the fact that God doesn't go uh, doesn't mean he couldn't go if he if he wanted to. So you're right. He chooses not to be there. He is still in control. He's still the one who's pulling all of the strings. But the fact of the matter is it's a choice that he's made because he is going to be spending time with us. So that's, I don't know how satisfying that answer is, but that is the only a uh, way that we can understand it, because as you said, his ways are not our ways, and uh, all we can do is is just lean on his character. But no, um, God will not be in hell, but it will be a choice that he makes not to be. Thank you, Thomas. I always love your questions. Here's one from our email inbox from Kelly. She said, Hi, Pastor Ron. I'd like to know what is the best version of the King James Bible to purchase and read. Thank you, Kelly. Hey, Kelly, I am assuming now you're meaning between the King James and the New King James. 
Um, and and my answer would be dependent on what your goal is. I love the King James language. It's so memorable. If I was to memorize scripture, um, I would use the King James, the, the, the 1611 version of the King James. If I just wanted one for readability, um, I would I would select the New King James. Uh, I've kind of resisted the New King James for a long, long time uh, because I always thought, well, if I if I want to read the King James, I'll just read the King James that I'm familiar with. Um, but um, you know, my my U version on my my iPad at home that that I read with my goggles on. Um, they don't have the 1984 uh, version of the NIV anymore. And so because they don't have the 1984 version, I get really frustrated and impatient with the, the 2011 version of the NIV. Uh, so so I have been reading almost exclusively um, the New King James on, on my iPad. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I, I like being able to see the differences. But Kelly, either one, I think for readability, the New King James is, is a little bit better. My biggest complaint with both the King James and the New King James is the manuscript form that it's written in. It, it's separated by um, verse divisions. You know, there's one verse on top of the next verse, so they stop something in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a paragraph if the next verse goes. And I think when we look at that, we have the tendency to uh, to lose the context of the passage. So for me personally, that's my biggest complaint. But I love both of those versions, and I've said this on this program before, Kelly, because I'm I've lost my eyesight. Um, when I can't see the Bible verses in my notes, and I've got them in really big, big, bold print, uh, but if I can't see them or make them out, um, I, I I just from memory quote. Uh, the, the King James Version because that's the version I grew up with and and I, I still remember it after all these years in the 1984 NIV I still remember um, um, the, the the verses and their construction in the King James and there's sometimes when you look at the King James Version you say that's just so perfect I mean, the old English that they use, um, um, it, it's sort of direct and to the point. So it's its really a matter of what your your purpose is, Kelly. If it's readability, I would suggest the New King, game, New King James Version. They are both translations from the, the majority manuscripts, the Texas Receptus. And so there, there's not going to be any contradiction. It's just more modern language in the New King James Version. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Hope there's people calling this week. The phones are uh, are going to get busy, I hope. Hey, by the way, can I ask for prayer? I'm um, going to uh, Durango, Mexico uh, on Saturday. Uh, one of the churches that we've planted in Durango, my dear friend, like a son in the faith to me, Jay Bentley, is the pastor there, and they're starting a new school. Um, when we leave there, they'll be starting it that week. Uh, they're starting a new school, a Christian school in Durango, uh, and uh, he's asked me to come and dedicate the school and pray for the teachers who are going to be starting the following week. And uh, I just could not say no. I would rather take a beating than travel. I mean, I hate traveling. And uh, I'm I'm even more uncomfortable when I'm leaving the country. But um, um, it's such an honor. And uh, so pray for, pray for me and Pastor Juan. He's going to take me to speak Spanish. Um, um, pray for our traveling mercies. Everything goes well. And, and please pray for... Calvary Chapel in Durango, Mexico, and Pastor Jay Bentley, his wife Carmen, and uh, their new school endeavor. I'm so proud of them. You know, when like watching one of your sons take a step of faith, it's really, really a great thing. Here's a question from Paulette. Um, Pastor Ron, I know women cannot be pastors, but can we be in other leadership positions? Yeah, Paulette, the only thing that you're, you're um, kept from participating uh, is in those key leadership roles, pastors, elders, uh, whatever the, the, the 
church leadership, uh, how it's functioning in the church that you go to. Um, leadership is male, not because males are smarter, not because males are more spiritual, but just because it's Jesus' church and those are the rules that he gave us. So you can be in plenty of other leadership positions. I've, uh, We don't have a, a, a female worship leader here, uh, but but I would if, if, if need be. I don't have any problem with that. Um, we have uh, heads of our ministries are, are women in some cases. Uh, um, the, the, the leader, the ministry leader at Manor House, uh, our children's ministry leader here at the church has been in the same position for, my goodness, I think 25 years. And um, she's just, I, I said, God, send me somebody with your heart for these kids. And Darlene shows up and we've grown old together. So, um, um, yeah, other leadership positions are no problem at all. I have pastor who's, friends who have worship uh, leaders who are women, a prayer group, um, people who, who uh, lead prayer groups and things like that. So no problem at all. It's just those two. Uh, we've got event coordinators and our, one of our sound ministry leaders, they are women. So yes, there's lots of things women can do. They just cannot be a pastor and teach from a place of authority over men. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Amy on line one, our first call of the week. Amy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I have a grandson, he's seven, and he has always had some really bad, violent behavior. And his parents mm. are good parents. They're sweet. They're you know not any way abusive at all. And I just wondered if kids could have demons, because I feel like he does. Well, um, you know, I, I would lean more toward um, some uh, psychological problems or chemical imbalances or something. Um, uh, I, I've seen children, uh, let me rephrase, Amy, I've seen a child who who uh, had a demon. And um, um, that that child was exposed to witchcraft. Uh, parents did a lot of drugs. The child uh, was smoking marijuana at a very, very early age. Um, and, and you know, it's almost in cases like that we're inviting demons to come in. However, having said that, that is so exceptionally rare. And in this part of the world, um, um, you know, God protects kids. God, God doesn't throw kids. You know, God said to to the devil, "You you can have your take your best shot at Job. Job knows me. Job loves me." But but that's simply outside of God's character, outside of His nature to to just offer these children up as sacrifices for the enemy. And make no mistake, the devil is is limited by the the permissive will of God uh, before attacking anybody. So in this particular case. Uh, it would have to be an exceptional case, uh, a situation where um, that, that child has been exposed to all kinds of demonic activity. That would be the parent's fault, and certainly that's not the case in your your illustration. Uh, but I, I would lean toward um, some sort of chemical imbalance or psychological problem, and, and there is a case where I would find a child psychologist who is a believer— not an unbelieving child psychologist, but a child psychologist who is a believer, and I would let that person um, um, interview them, uh, the child, and 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 give us some some direction and some counsel. Uh, Amy, I have a little bit of experience with this. Um, 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 dear woman who is like a sister to me, she was my office manager. Uh, she was also a professional. Uh, psychologist who specialized in children, and we used her a lot for the kids here at the school who are um, ADHD and other other learning disability problems, uh, and 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 her help to me was invaluable. Um, you know, I don't want to pretend none of us as Christians should pretend we know more than we do, and so I would be able to hand a child over and and say, please uh, talk to this child or parents and and give me some direction here about what to do, and um, um, she is in fact the one who um, 
helped me come to a, a conclusion, a decision about how to deal with that one child uh, who who I believe still to this day had a demon. But I just don't think, Amy, that that, that is at all likely and it would be the last resort. I also think that if the child had a demon and it was something that the parents permitted going on in their home, uh, I think as somebody like you, obviously you care about these people deeply, uh, I think I think you'd be able to discern the, the, the evil presence um, in the home, not not just in the child. But God protects children uh, to, to a degree. So um, Amy just... Uh, Keep praying for it, but 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 as somebody that they would listen to, uh, counsel them to get that child into uh, some sort of um, believing child psychologist's um, therapy. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate it very very much. And uh, I'll actually be praying for this girl. These are the kind or th- this child. These are the kinds of things that uh, really really rip at my heart. Well, you can hear the music. That means we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your live calls and questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left so you can rush to get your questions in 340-9585 for your calls here's an interesting question from uh scott in our email inbox. Let me do this first because I don't like to keep people on hold. So, Scott, hold on just a minute and I'll get your question in a moment. Uh, Cindy is calling on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I never mind being put on hold. It gives me a minute to think about what I'm going to say anyways. (laughs) But see, if I give you any more time to think, Cindy, you ask questions that are too difficult for me. (laughs) My goodness. Well, I'm out of Black Rifle coffee, so I'll probably be pretty easy today. I'm having to have other beans. <laughs> um, you know what? I was wondering in Genesis, when God is talking to Abraham, and he said, I will make your offspring, as, and I can't remember if it's the numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand in the sea. But my main point is, what exactly did that mean? Did that mean that the amount of people who are going to be saved and go to heaven is is that number or 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 what and then the other thing i was thinking what is the balance of the amount of people through time and space who are actually going to go to heaven including the old testament uh, mm. compared to the ones that that didn't that they, they, they will never go mm. so that's what i was thinking about and i'll let you go through this and yesterday was so wonderful at church i just <laughs> loved it hi thank you Thank you, Cindy. You know, in 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 uh, different translations, both the stars in the sky and the grains of sand in the seashore, and and that that particularly comes into play uh, at the end of the millennium when those who rebel against God, and this is just a very Jewish way, Cindy, of saying lots and lots and lots of people. So when he said to Abraham, now we've got to imagine what it was like. In, in the ancient world to look up into the, the sky uh, with absolutely no artificial lighting, um, no, no light or noise pollution at all. And the stars would be so numerous that it's, it's, it's almost as though you could reach up and touch them. And, and, and God is simply saying, this is how sure my promise is to you. Look at those stars. Can you count them? No. Well, that's that's a picture of your descendants. There's no one-to-one ratio, and God's not trying to make any point other than that Abraham, my promises are so sure, so so certain that that your body may be dead, your wife may be barren, but you look up there, and that's going to be your descendants. Now, in, in Abraham's case, we know that he has descendants that are our Muslim. Abraham is the, the father of the three major religions in the world. 
um, Judaism, uh, Islam, and Christianity. Abraham um, is the father of all those religions. So uh, it's not your descendants who are going to be in heaven. It's just your descendants. I'm going to do a miracle in you, and it's going to affect the whole world over. Now, with regard to uh, the numbers of people in heaven versus hell, um, the 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 only reference we have to that is Jesus talking about the, the broad road and the narrow road. He said the road to heaven is narrow and few find it. But the road to destruction is broad and well-traveled. Think of the, the freeway and bumper-to-bumper traffic and people trying to get on from every... It's an amazing picture for me, Cindy, that that uh, people are are trying to get on, crowd on to a road that's going to end in destruction. And that's the picture of the world. So the, 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 the answer to your question is the numbers of people who are going to go to heaven relative to the numbers who are going to spend eternity in hell separated from God, uh, there's an enormous discrepancy. And, and uh, uh, the people that are judged and the people that are going to be in eternal torment are going to far, far, far outnumber the people who are going to take that, that narrow road. And, and as tragic as that is, um, it's again, it's just like our freeways under construction, and and you see people lining up to get on, and you see people trying to get over and cross uh, cross over on in front of other people. Um, that's what the road to hell is like. The the difference is the devil is so powerful in his ability to deceive that the people who are traveling that road think they're doing fine. You ask most people, no, I'm a good person. I had a conversation with somebody um, just uh, this morning, in fact. A sad conversation. Um, um, And and you know, he's a professing believer. Um, He's living a life that that would would say he's not. I've been talking to him. It just, no, no, God's in control of everything. I know what I'm doing. I know this. And, and, And he's just completely oblivious to the road that he's traveling a road that's going to lead to destruction. And that's one of the reasons that we've got to be out there um, giving light. I'm, I'm hopeful and prayerful that uh, what I was able to say to him and to use even his own words, um, um, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will sort of kindle fire in his heart. And um, but, but we'll see. But Cindy, there's going to be Many, many more people. Jesus, by the way, he told a parable, a parable of the sower, and he described soil, uh, which was types of human hearts, uh, that the seed is going to fall on. And only one-fourth of those seeds fell on hearts that we could say, oh, yeah, that's that's somebody who's saved. The others, we don't know. One, we know for sure isn't, but the other two, we don't know. That's between them and God. But But the idea is many, many, many more are going to end up suffering in torment than those who um, will be going to heaven with us. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Scott, here's your question. And I, I, I want to get to Cindy first because I might take a couple minutes with this if we don't get some calls. Scott says, in view of the latest UN report on the climate and with the current weather-related storms, fires, floods, earthquakes. Do you believe these are the signs Jesus was speaking of in Matthew 24, 4-8? through 8? Also, to include in this question, in verse 7, nation will rise against nation, is the mention of nation referring to people groups. With that in mind, and watching the world become more unhinged, makes the whole global BLM movement look like what Jesus is referring to, nation will rise against nation. Your thoughts, please. Thank you. Uh, Let me deal with that last part first, Scott, because this is a little bit easier. Uh, The word is is ethnos. We get our word ethnic from it. So it's it's people groups, and and we might get a a more clear picture if we thought about clans. You know, if you go to Afghanistan, you've got this clan fighting this clan, and, and they stake out their territory. They're like big gangs. Um, and that's what he's talking about. And, and that's the kind of warfare that we're in now. So surely all of the signs of the end are in place. Um, the global BLM movement is not one of them. 
Uh, that's not what's in mind here. We're, we're talking about uh, people groups, um, ruthless people groups in, in many cases, um, just warring against one another. I always think of Rodney King saying, can't we all just get along? Well, the answer is no, not in these last days. Not in these last days. Arabs hate Arabs. We think all the Arabs hate just Israel and the United States. No, they hate each other too. It's just that they've got a greater enemy in their view. And so they focus on Israel first and the United States next. Now, I want to really deal with this because I've been bombarded uh, with information about climate. You know, one of the, the, the big watchdog groups said that that uh, uh, we are past the point of no return if radical change to our lifestyles doesn't occur in the next 10 years. And, and when he says radical changes, they're talking about um, uh, going back really um, centuries in terms of, of uh, the impact on the environment. Um, fossil fuels completely gone, um, um, sacrificing power and, and just, just the things that we do. Um, you know, all of this alarmism, um, you know, we've been, we. if you look back the last few years, there's been nothing but fear and fear-mongering going on. And this is just more of that. Remember, Jesus holds everything together. Jesus is going to come back at the end of the Great Tribulation. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to split it, the greatest earthquake that's ever happened. But that means there has to be a Mount of Olives here. If Jesus is the one sustaining all things, we know that from the New Testament. If Jesus is sustaining all things, they're all going to be here. And all of this lunacy in it is is utter lunacy. You know, it was probably, I'm going to guess, 12 years ago when we were told, I remember watching a 60 Minutes program saying that there was only 12 years left. And here we are. Um, God is in control of these things. Psalm 46, God, would be the, the reference. But God is the one who's in control of all these things. And we who are believers, our lives can be so free of this kind of fear-mongering if we just remember and then trust in the fact that the Word says that Jesus is the one who's in control. Imagine them saying 10 years um, we've crossed the line of demarcation. We, we, there's no going back, and the damage will be permanent and catastrophic. Uh, and you know what? If Jesus tarries for another 10 years, I'll be 80 years old. If I make 80, and Jesus hasn't come for his church yet, no, not one of those scientists is going to say, oops, we're sorry, we were wrong. So it's just not going to happen. I think the beginning of birth pains, um, earthquakes, and uh, the, the, the phenomena that we see going on in the world, that's just the beginning of birth pains. And, and I think we're in sort of false labor now, to, to take the metaphor one step further. Uh, I just think we're seeing the consequences of a world that's rebelling against God. Paul says the whole earth is groaning in Romans chapter 1, waiting for its redemption. And I think we're seeing these things. But the fires, the floods, the earthquakes, this, this climate change hysteria, Jesus is in control. And if you really do your homework, Scott, um, you'll find that the climate has been going through changes periodically um, for sometimes decades at a time. And scientists are always jumping the gun. Oh, we're going to enter into an ice age. I remember as a, as a young man, um, a teenager really, uh, the talk about we're, we're, we're on the verge of an ice age. And, um, you know, the things that people say are going to happen just never happen. And the reason they never happen and will never happen is because Jesus is the one who is sustaining all things. And when his plan comes to fruition, believe me, uh, things are going to completely blow apart. And that's just the way it's going to be. So um, life is simple if you believe. 
what the Bible tells us. If you have faith in Christ, um, the truth of the matter is that these things are not going to be the end of the world. The end of the world is going to happen when Jesus lets it go. Peter says that there will be a fire, that the earth will be destroyed from heat. Um, but that's not what we're watching on a natural level. Um, we we just we Christians we need to be a even though it's unpopular we need to be a voice of reason uh, in these last days. Um, just just the science is crazy, and and it's it's almost like there's a meeting going on somewhere. And I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it's almost like there's a meeting going on saying, oh, you know, the people are almost not afraid anymore of, of COVID, so let's give something else to be afraid of. And, and the enemy wants us to walk in fear. The enemy is using the people in this world to try to scare people. And um, I think the world is now being set up for the emergence of the man that we call the Antichrist. And all that means is that Jesus is coming soon. Christians, we need to be ready. So, Scott, thank you for this. I was wondering if I was going to get a question on this. But this latest hysteria is no different than everything else that we've been experiencing for now for decades. Eddie says, Pastor Ron, is there a fixed percentage that Christians should give? Yes, Eddie, 100%. We should give everything to the Lord. Romans chapter 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Why? Well, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that God has done, the only reasonable response that we can do is offer everything, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Now, I realize you're talking about uh, your, your money, and you're talking about uh, a 10%, uh, which is what churches, uh, and, and I think it's sad that we that so many churches teach us, uh, but but churches try to obligate you to give 10% of your pay because it's manageable. They know you'll do it, and you'll feel guilty if you don't. But there is no New Testament commandment. Grace, you see, changed everything. So if 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 you're giving 10%, Eddie, here's what I know. And I'm not saying 10% is terrible or anything, but here's what I know. You're not asking God what to give. I think people are afraid to say, okay, Lord, how much do you want to give my announcer? Every Sunday he will say, we're always honored to receive your offerings to God. We'll never compel you to give. We want you to give with a cheerful heart. And then he says this, uh, ask God what he wants you to give and then be obedient. I think most of us are afraid to ask God what he wants us to give because we're afraid he's going to say more than we're ready to give. So the answer to that is give what you can give with a cheerful heart. Now, if if you're going to be stingy with God, and Eddie, I'm not talking to you personally now, just people in general. If we're going to be stingy with our giving, um, what does it say about your faith in God? If we're going to be tight-fisted, does it really say that we're grateful for grace? If under law, the law which condemned 10% was the law, how much more should we who are under grace give? And the answer, again, is everything. And when you go to the Lord and you say, okay, Jesus, here's all the money you gave me this month. How much of it do you want for your work, for your church, or for other things God might put on your heart? And you know what, Eddie? He's going to let you keep most of it. He knows you've got bills. He knows you've got kids. College education is coming up. He knows all those things. But this is one of the areas that I really believe where we Christians demonstrate, and, and I'm talking to Christians in the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth, we demonstrate a true lack of faith in our giving, the giving of money. We want to give the least we can give and get away with it. If if all you can give with your heart is a little tiny bit, give a little tiny bit. But we all ought to then be saying, okay, Lord, why don't I trust you? And we can't give to get from God because God has already given everything for us. So what we say is, Lord, help me to trust you more. I don't want to hold anything back from you. And Eddie, what God will do is create a lot of generous Christians, Christians who are blessed with the gift of giving, 
and he'll give them stuff to give and believe me you can do more on whatever God tells you you can keep than you can do on keeping 90% of it for you in my mind I can never work out the the thought process that says okay God you give me a thousand dollars this month and so 900 of it's for me and a hundred of it's for you. I just don't understand how that computes. I don't know that any Christian submitted to the will of the Holy Spirit can make sense out of that. No, God, everything is yours. And whatever God puts on your heart to give, you give it. Believe me, God will repay. Again, that can't be your motive. That's just who God really is. So, Eddie, thank you for the question. For those of you who are tithers, um, you know, maybe let God stretch you a little bit. Maybe let him stretch you a little bit. and Maybe God wants to increase your faith. Give him the opportunity to do that. Mark asks, in the fruits of the Spirit, there is a mention of long-suffering. What is that? Well, Mark, you've been reading the New King James. I'm sorry, the King James. The King James uh, uses the term suffer long. Uh, the, the, the King James uses long suffering. Uh, I just taught on this yesterday, in fact, uh, uh, not in the fruit of the Spirit, but, but love suffers long. Love is patient, the NIV says. Um, and then love is kind. Um, but but long suffering it means uh, that we we're willing to suffer for a long time. That's that's that requires the power of the Holy Spirit. So it means to hang in there. The Greek word is the Greek word hupomoni, and we use it a lot here at Calvary Chapel. Um, that Greek word is the willingness for God and for His glory to stay under pressure, even though there is an escape from that pressure. So. Um, um, you know, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the uh, furnace. Um, Jesus appears in there. They're, the robes, uh, the ropes are, are are burned away. Their clothes haven't even got the smell of smoke on them, and they're walking around in the fire. They could have walked out of the fire, but Jesus was in there, and they'd rather stay in the fire with Jesus than be out of the fire without him. And I think that's what the fruit of the spirit of long suffering means. It just means that, Lord, we're going to go through ups and downs. We're going to have highs and lows. And I'm going to love you as much in the bad times as I do in the good times. When things are difficult, when my expectations aren't met, or when, when my prayers don't seem to be being answered, Lord, I'm going to love you as much then as I do when it seems that all my prayers are being heard and answered. That's what long suffering is, Mark. And it is, um, it's impossible by any other means except the power of God's Spirit. Thank you. I appreciate that very, very much. Let's go to Wes on line one. Wes, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Wes. Thank you. Good. Well, I have somewhat of a praise report uh, about, Good. I always call in and asking about praying for a job. And you know the Lord, um, I've been seeking him every night, and great uh, verses, you know, John fifteen three was a super impactful verse that uh, you've already been cleansed because of the word I have spoken to you. And then I looked up First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse, that's that word, cleanse us from all unrighteousness and i just want to praise the lord you know it may not be in the the area that you think it's going to be because <laughs> yep. he's opening up an area in education and it's something that i've put away all my life you know just being because i wasn't certified as a teacher but you know mm -hmm. what the lord is opening up that door and people are calling going hey <laughs> hey hey so what's that all about? <laughs> oh, I love your call, Wes. Thank you for the mm -hmm. for the praise report. You you know when mm -hmm. when I think of First John one nine, um, it, it's even better news than you communicated because when it says uh, He will forgive us and purify us 
from all unrighteousness. That word purify in, in the Greek is in the continuous present tense. So it, it's it's like uh, we've sinned, we've asked for forgiveness, and, and the purification, like going through this continual car wash where you just keep getting scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed and and it never stops and and that's the kind of blessing so um um god's done his work of encouraging you and it's great to hear uh, just remember that um, um god's always had this plan and he's simply using this situation that you've been in to get you to trust him a little bit more and now Wes, you're on the verge of seeing the hand of God move in and through your life. And when you do that, um, believe me, it, it it changes everything. So, Wes, thank you for that. I think i got time for one more question that just came in. So let's go there. It's from our mobile app from Kelly. She said, my son has a question. What happened to all the water from the flood and the people that died in it? Um, Kelly, uh, tell your son, or this is Nick, think Nick's the one who wrote the question. Uh, the water, um, um, receded, uh, the water was soaked into the earth. Uh, it took more than 150 days, uh, in order for that to happen, but it did. And the people that died in it, now when that, when the earth, this is hard to explain, uh, but, but when the, the, the springs from the deep unloaded, uh, it would have been a cataclysmic, instant cataclysmic episode. And and uh, people would have been sort of freeze-dried. Uh, and, and that's why we're fi- we find uh, fossils and things like that all over the world because of the instant transformation. So that's what happened to the water. It receded and the people that died in it. Uh, unfortunately, they're not with Jesus now. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Hey, Sweet Summer Devotions tonight at 7 o'clock. Yoli Vega. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.